Good morning and welcome to a Tuesday morning, June the 28th edition of the Christian Underground News Network. I'm your host, Kurt Chamberlain, along with your co-host, Pastor Dick Chamberlain, and our regular Tuesday morning guest, Dr. J.B. Hickson. As always, we are thrilled to have him aboard this morning, and uh, we've got some interesting subject matter to talk about. Uh, I believe today's going to be Today's discussion will be centered around uh, something that could be termed uh, special days. Everybody's got a special day, don't they? I mean, what, JB, when you think about special days, um, what's the most special day in your life, do you think? What ranks up there as the top one? Or well, one good morning. Or good morning, Curtis. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, the day that I came to know the Lord and the, and the day that yeah, I passed from death to life and became part of the family of God. And that should be everyone's most special day. But, Amen. you know, I got to thinking, you know, these are pretty incredible days in which we live. Yes, they you know, are. Um, lots going on in the world, um, both good and bad. Obviously, the spirit of God is alive and well. He's always at work calling men to salvation and um, uh, you know, the gospel goes forth and we see pockets of revival. But of course, as I've talked about often, uh, the Luciferian agenda marches forward, uh, the demonic agenda marches forward, and we are rapidly uh, spiraling towards a one world religious, political and economic system as prophesied in scripture. And uh, the spirit of Antichrist is, is alive and well today. Uh, many Antichrists have already gone forth is what John tells us as we uh, wait for that ultimate capital A Antichrist uh, during the tribulation period. Uh, of course, the church won't be here during that time. The Bible has promised us that we will be rescued before the great and terrible day of the Lord's wrath, but it doesn't mean we won't have to face unspeakable difficulties and trials and uh, you know harshness during this uh, present age. But uh, boy, you know, you go as recently here as Friday with the Supreme Court decision, which I've talked about at length uh, yesterday in a podcast I encourage folks to listen to. It's called SCOTUS Did Not Abolish Abortion. And I kind of give my perspective and thoughts on this uh, decision. I really encourage you folks to listen to that. But, you know, all of the, the riots and the, the, uh, the so-called night of rage that emanated because of that. Um, and then, you know, all of the other uh, the gender surrender movement, the uh, the attacks on civil liberties and Christian liberties, um, and it just seems like we're coming apart at the seams. And so, as I was thinking about uh, this, these incredible days, and and what it's what 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 it's like really to live in a day like this, as opposed to say, you know, a hundred years ago, um, I got to thinking about the term day, and you know, days. Uh, in the term day in scripture is significant because the Bible starts with six days of creation. And uh, we, we know, if you believe the Bible, uh, that God spoke the world into existence. He created the world out of nothing, and he did it in six literal 24-hour days. Yes. And then throughout God's self-revelation to mankind in scripture, we see certain days marked out. They seem to be jumping off the page. And um, and given certain names and designations. And so uh, we don't have time to go through all of them, but I, I wanted to just mention a few that I think kind of rise to the top of the list. If I were to make a list of key days in scripture, as you call them, special days in scripture. And you know, the very first one, as, as we mentioned, that should be at the top of anyone's list is the day of salvation. 
Yes. Uh, in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, at least the second letter that's in Scripture, he actually wrote four letters, but two of them are part of the inspired Word of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, quoting here from Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 8, uh, Paul writes, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Yes. And, um, you know, I've talked about the day of salvation a lot through the years in my ministry. Uh, in Scripture, the term salvation can have both an eternal spiritual aspect, meaning the day that you're saved from the penalty of sin by placing your faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God who died and rose again for your sins. Yes. But salvation can also just mean deliverance from some temporal danger or physical uh, yeah. crisis or uh, sickness or health. And so mm -hmm. in Scripture, the day of salvation has a broader meaning than simply the time when we come to faith in Christ. But I think the greatest application of this idea of the day of salvation is that very time when you come to faith in Christ and become a born-again Christian. And yeah. so as we think about these various days uh, in Scripture, I think we, we need to start with this reminder that life is a vapor. You know, frequently the, the Bible refers to life as a vapor in the Old and New Testament alike, and we never know what tomorrow may hold. That's and right. I think in, in, for, in 2 Corinthians 6, Paul is reminding his audience, the, the Corinthians, and, and by extension us today, that today is the day of salvation. Mm -hmm. And just as God promised to help Israel in the accepted time in that passage from Isaiah, likewise, God is going to help the Corinthian church as they seek to spread the gospel. And he's, he's standing right there waiting for anyone uh, to trust in him. You know, the Bible says, um, whosoever will, let him come drink freely of the water of life. Uh, whosoever will come, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, Jesus said. That's a call to salvation, Amen. the first part of that passage there. And so, you know, I think uh, I, I want to challenge readers, uh, or listeners rather, as we're going through this, that, you know, right off the bat, you need to ask yourself, have you experienced the day of salvation? Uh, there, there's an urgency to the gospel. And Curtis, I'm sure you agree, never before has it been more urgent. Um, oh, I agree. <laughs> the day of salvation is so critical because, you know, first of all, as I said, life is a vapor. You know, you just, you never know. Uh, nobody's, tomorrow nobody's, that's right. Nobody's guaranteed tomorrow. Yeah, James, the Lord's brother, put it this way in his short epistle, James chapter 4, verse 13, come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go to such and such a city or spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this and do that. Um, and in Proverbs 27, one, do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Um, and so, you know, in Jesus, in the, in, in his, uh, earthly ministry as recorded by Luke under the inspiration of the spirit, uh, you know, tells this story. The man thought to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? Remember the story about building the bigger and bigger barns. Yes. And so he said, well, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns and build greater barns. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And then yeah. what did God say to him? Fool. Now, fool. This, this night, night 
Yep. My yes. soul shall be required of thee. Amen. And so, yeah. you know, it, it's one of these things that I think our listeners need to understand that there is an urgency here. Uh, first of all, as we just saw, you don't know what tomorrow holds. But secondly, you know, the rapture is, is the blessed hope and an imminent promise of Christ's return. He could come yeah. at any moment. That's what imminent means. Um, you know, I've documented elsewhere the, the biblical doctrine and proof of the biblical doctrine of imminency. I know there's a lot of false teaching and confusion out there about the doctrine of uh, the rapture, but the Bible is actually quite clear when you handle it consistently and understand the Bible and its literal, grammatical, historical, uh, hermeneutic there, uh, Bible study method. And so uh, it's quite clear that the, the rapture is imminent, which means it could happen at any time. It's not going to happen at the midpoint of the tribulation that would destroy imminency. Uh, right. Because if it happens at the midpoint, you know, I was talking to someone uh, Sunday uh, at the event that we did. We had a great day, by the way, Sunday, uh, over 200 people uh, packed to the church uh, that we were at uh, to hear me talk about the great satanic reset. And we had two hours together, and that included a small time of Q&A at the end. And so that video is up at notbyworks.org, or you can listen to it on the podcast as well. Um, but someone came up to me and said, well, I always thought it's going to happen with the seventh trumpet. And, and uh, you know, what they're not understanding is that the Bible teaches imminency. And we prove that in, in my book, What Lies Ahead, and also in a, a video, uh, The Imminency of the Rapture, that's available at notbyworks.org. And, you know, if, if, the, if the rapture is going to happen at an appointed time, you know, after certain things or before certain things or at a certain sequence of time, it's not imminent. You know, right. in other words, if the rapture is going to happen at the seventh trumpet, well, we know we haven't experienced the trumpet judgments of God yet. We haven't seen the first six. So we, we know the rapture is not going to happen today. And, uh, but the Bible clearly teaches on any moment rapture. Uh, there's a, you, you see that repeatedly in scripture. So uh, that's what people overlook when they have believed the lie that the teaching about the rapture is confusing. It's not confusing at all. No, so, if it's, if it's imminent, if it's not imminent, it's just merely scheduled. And yeah, it's exactly. not the set dates. Exactly. And it's not scheduled that very clearly Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse. Of course, right. He wasn't talking about the rapture there. He was talking about the second coming. But right. still, the second coming is connected to the rapture because one follows the other. So, right. so the fact of the matter is, you know, we today is an urgent day. Um, if the rapture were to happen and you don't know the Lord, you're going to be left behind. And uh, it will be even harder at that point because of the great deception and the intensification of deception that happens after the rapture. Uh, to, to believe in the gospel. And so don't wait. Um, you're not promised tomorrow, first of all, your life is a vapor. And second of all, uh, at some time in the future, Christ is going to come back and we're going to meet him in the air for that blessed reunion in the sky. So, you know, today is the day of salvation, and that's one of the key days uh, in scripture. And another one, though, that I want to talk about is a passage that uh, we come to in Psalm 118, verse 24. Uh, Psalm 118, verse 24. Now, this is a passage that is often quoted out of context, and it's a fairly well-known verse, uh, and so people uh, frequently will cite this verse. They may not know the reference, Psalm 118, 24, but they know the verbiage, or you'll see it on posters or bumper stickers or things like that, yeah. artwork. Uh, but I think people miss the complete context. You know, everything in Scripture happens in a context, and Psalm 118 is a very famous messianic psalm 
that the Jews uh, sung to proclaim the ultimate return of their Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, uh, regardless of their circumstances, for him to come back and establish the long-awaited promised kingdom. So by the time this was written, you know, they had been, you know, holding on to the Abrahamic promise for some 1,000 years or so, maybe longer, and they were still not experiencing the fullness of this promised kingdom. And then, of course, uh, not long after this psalm, uh, they uh, experienced the Assyrian uh, captivity and then the Babylonian captivity, and this song gave them hope and encouragement as they would sing it, uh, you know, as part of a series of psalms, uh, praise psalms, to remind them of, of what's coming. And, you know, they would say things like, it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in, prison, in princes. Um, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I call on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. But as the psalm goes on, you get down to Psalm 118, verse 22, and listen to what it says. And this passage is quoted often in the New Testament. Uh, The Apostle Paul quotes it. Uh, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And then here's the key verse, Psalm 118, verse 24. (laughs) This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Now, Jesus, and then he goes on and says, save now, I pray, O Lord, O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus quotes this verse in Psalm, uh, I mean, in Matthew 23, in which he says, look, you're not going to see me again, Israel, my chosen nation, Israel, the apple of my eye. You're not going to see me again until you cry, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And indeed, that is what the nation will cry as God supernaturally regathers them into the land at Christ's second coming at the end of the tribulation, right after the battle of Armageddon. They're going to cry out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, at his first advent, there was a remnant, a small number of people, a splattering of people that cried out as he rode into Jerusalem that fateful final week before he walked up the Via Dolorosa to Calvary, uh, that as he rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, they, they proclaimed, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But those cries quickly turned to crucify him, crucify him within just a few days. And so Jesus is saying here that next time I come, uh, Israel, all of Israel will call on the name of the Lord and be saved, as Joel the prophet uh, pr- prophesied. And what will they be calling? They will be calling, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So this whole Psalm 118 is very clearly a second coming kingdom promise. And going back to verse 22, when, when the psalmist writes, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. The question is, has Jesus Christ today taken on the position of being the chief cornerstone? Not yet. He's at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven waiting to return and establish his kingdom, but he hasn't established it yet. As Isaiah the prophet said, when that happens, all of the governments will be upon his shoulder and there will be perfect peace and he will rule with a rod of iron. That's not happening yet. Anybody that thinks this world is under the authoritative, definitive 
rule of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords as he resides over a one world global kingdom of peace and righteousness and justice is, is not living in reality. Uh, so the stone has been rejected at Calvary 2,000 years ago, but he has not uh, taken the, the position on the throne, the, the throne of David, as promised him. Uh, but when he does, it will be marvelous in our eyes, and we will be able to say, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Right. So second key day, we talked about the day of salvation, but the second one we talk about is the day the Lord has made. And the way this passage is often interpreted by, you know, lazy exegetes who don't really take the time to look at it in context is that, you know, every day is a day the Lord has made, and we should rejoice in each and every day because God made it. Well, certainly it's true that God makes every day. He makes the sunrise and the sunset, so to speak. And so uh, he's sovereign over all of creation. Uh, you know, his providence is very clearly seen. And indeed, every day is a day which God has given us, and we should use it for his glory. But that's not at all what is being said in Psalm 118, 24. You know, this is the day. This is a pronoun. Whenever you see a pronoun, you should ask, what's the antecedent? What day is he talking about? And this, when he says this is the day, doesn't mean today, as in right now, you know, June 28th, 2022, or any day thereafter. It means a specific day that he has just talked about, which right. is the day when Christ comes back to establish the long-awaited kingdom, a day of salvation nationally for Israel when they get their long-awaited kingdom. And by the way, that global, that, that kingdom that Israel is going to receive in, in, in fulfillment of prophecy will be a global kingdom that will impact the entire world. Because as I just finished a teaching about in our uh, Sunday morning nine o'clock series on the millennial phase of the kingdom, all nations will come up to Jerusalem during that thousand year period. Israel will be the capital nation of the world. Christ will rule the world from Jerusalem in the millennial temple, as Ezekiel describes in Ezekiel 40 to 48. So uh, this day that the Lord has made, this day is talking about the day of Christ's return. So the next time uh, you know, people, uh, you know, next time you find yourself thinking about, you know, this verse, this is the day the Lord has made, or singing that little chorus that we all know so well, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. When we find ourselves thinking about that, I hope it'll help you turn your thoughts to the return of Christ and right. the, the future hope that we have in him when Christ comes back and makes all things new. And, and as bad as things are today, we know a better day is coming. Amen. So again, theologically, it's certainly true that every day belongs to the Lord, and we ought to be rejoicing uh, every day. The, Paul tells us, rejoice evermore. You know, we right. ought to, you know, rejoice in the Lord. Um, but that verse, Psalm 118, verse 24, has much more specific mm -hmm. uh, context when it's talking about the return of Christ. So this is the day the Lord has made, we will rejoice and be glad in it. And that's talking about uh, the return of Christ. So, you know, there's a, the day of salvation and the day the Lord has made Or again, as I was just thinking about the incredible days in which we live, I just thought, well, there's some pretty incredible days in scripture. And one of them, of course, is the day of salvation. And one is uh, the day the Lord has made. But another one uh, that uh, I, I dedicate uh, a lot of time to in my book, What Lies Ahead, comes from the Old Testament prophet Zechariah in chapter 14. Wonderful chapter. 
that talks about the return of Christ. And this key day in Scripture that I want to talk about next is the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. Now, Zechariah was a pretty common uh, name among the Israelites. In fact, there are at least 27 different individuals in the Old Testament with the name Zechariah. It, it means Yahweh remembers or the Lord remembers. And it was an appropriate name for the Zechariah, the prophet who, who wrote this prophecy, because the prophet Zechariah explains that Yahweh will indeed remember his chosen people and all of his promises and will deliver them one day into the global earthly kingdom. So Zechariah, like Jeremiah and Ezekiel, was both a prophet and a priest. He was probably born in Babylonian captivity and yes. returned to Palestine with Zerubbabel, I guess, what would that be, 535 or 536 B.C.? And his prophecy uh, spanned about 40 years, Zechariah's did. And in the New Testament, Jesus tells us how the prophet's life ended. He mentions that the prophet Zechariah was murdered by the Jews between the temple and the altar, Matthew 23, 35. And so this would really make Zechariah one of the last righteous people that the Jews slew in Old Testament history. And one of the most awe-inspiring passages in the book of Zechariah is chapter 14, where he talks about the day of the Lord. So what is the day of the Lord? Well, the day of the Lord in Scripture is used frequently in the Old Testament passage, in Old Testament prophets like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Zephaniah, Zechariah, but it's also used in the New Testament. It's used in the book of Acts in Peter's sermon. It's used in, by Paul in First and Second Thessalonians. It's used by Peter in 2 Peter. What does it mean, the day of the Lord? Well, it's a unique phrase uh, that refers to the culmination of all things in the end times. Now, context always has to determine meaning. In yes. general, the day of the Lord is that time when God will intervene directly upon the affairs of mankind in power and great glory to accomplish his divine plan of the ages. So yes. in that sense, as John Walbert I used to say, a great uh, expert on uh, eschatology. Uh, he's with the Lord now, but uh, he used to say, in, in, a, in a sense, the day of the Lord is everything that starts with the rapture and goes all the way through to the new heavens and the new earth, That's right. that final age. But um, contextually, depending on the context, it could be narrowly focused on the tribulation period, and often it is. Yes. The day of the Lord is that seven-year period, the 70th week of Daniel, uh, where the, the wrath of God is poured out upon the world. In fact, often it's called the day of the Lord's wrath, not just day of the Lord, but the day of the Lord's wrath or the great day of the Lord's wrath. Sometimes yes. you'll see that tribulation period called that. But the day of the Lord can also mean not just the tribulation, but sometimes it can have a narrow focus on the second coming. In other words, the day of the Lord, uh, it kind of like the day the Lord has made that we looked at a, a moment ago in Psalm 118, the day of the Lord sometimes can refer to the return of Christ itself at the second coming uh, when he comes on the Mount of Olives and uh, destroys the Antichrist and false prophet at the Battle of Armageddon and establishes soon thereafter the millennial kingdom. Uh, sometimes the day of the Lord in context uh, can refer to the thousand-year reign of Christ, the millennium. Um, so it just sort of depends on uh, the context, but I want to read uh, a bit of uh, Zechariah 14, this really 
fascinating passage, and it should bring us hope uh, when we think of the day of the Lord. This today, we might say, is the day of the devil, all right? This is the, the, the devil is the prince of the power of the air, the god of this age. He's the prince of demons. The whole world is under the sway of the wicked one, the Bible tells us. So you might say that we're living in uh, the day of, of, of Satan. Um, yeah. Doesn't mean that God's not alive and well. Doesn't mean that God's not sovereign. He certainly is. Doesn't mean that the church doesn't have a job to do. We do. We should be out yes. there proclaiming the gospel, fulfilling the Great Commission. The Spirit of God is alive and well. Good things are happening. But in terms of God's plan of the ages, there's no doubt that this present age, as Paul calls it in Galatians 1.4, is an evil age. Right. And we won't have a righteous, peaceful, just age until the Prince of Peace himself, Jesus Christ, comes back and takes the throne. So uh, we need, in the midst of these days where everyone is evil, uh, every you know, not everyone literally, but there is so much evil in the world, and that's the trend because you know Paul tells us evil men and imposters will get worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So it's no question that it's getting worse and worse. Of course, there are shining stars and examples of that, of godliness in this present age. And that's what Paul tells us we should do is shine like stars in this perverse age. But uh, so not everyone is evil, but certainly as a whole, the trend is not good. Uh, And so in a time like this, it's helpful to remember the day of the Lord. And so listen to what Zechariah says. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and a half of it toward the south. Then you shall flee through my mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach to Azal. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints with you. It shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light, the lights will diminish. It shall be one day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time it shall happen that it will be light. In that day it shall be, the living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and half toward the western sea, and in both summer and winter it shall occur, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day. The Lord is one and his name is one. Amen. Hallelujah. What a day that's going to be. Notice, I mean, notice how it starts with trouble, because certainly the tribulation is going to bring trouble. The Antichrist is at the midpoint of the tribulation going to turn his sights on Israel and begin slaughtering Jews like never before. You think the Holocaust was bad? You ain't seen nothing yet. And yeah. But by the end of that three and a half years at the second half of the tribulation, God will say, I've had enough, and he comes back as Zechariah just prophesied, and he's going to go forth against the nations. He's going to do battle with them uh, uh, and, and, and defeat them. And then in that day, he will be king over the whole earth when Christ comes back. So 
the day of the Lord is uh, both uh, awe-inspiring, it ought to make us tremble, but it ought to make us smile. Yes. <laughs> in that day that justice will be served. Yeah. Um, you know, I had someone uh, pull me aside uh, recently. Uh, I had just spoken on uh, the tribulation, or I uh, was speaking actually on the millennium at Plum Creek Chapel in Sedalia, uh, our home church, uh, which by the way, if you're ever in the Denver area, please come see us uh, Sundays or Wednesdays. You can learn more at plumcreekchapel.org. But I'd just been talking about the, the tribulation and the timing of it and so forth. And someone grabbed me as I was heading back to the back of the auditorium to get some water. And they said, you know, I can't help but think that since we're going to be raptured before all of this, all of this is really irrelevant, right? We, why do we need to know it? And I said, what are you talking about? I said, it's extremely relevant because the tribulation answers the heart cry of every believer for justice. Amen. And it's it's the great equalizer. It's the time when all things are made right. And all of those inequities and injustices of life that we have to endure and that our hearts cry out for vengeance, we're going to see that happen when the day of the Lord comes. And so, you know, the day of the Lord is a key, key day uh, in Scripture. So we've got day of salvation. And I know we're about out of time, but I want to try to fit in one more here. Day of salvation, the urgency of the gospel. Today is the day. Place your faith in Christ. We've got the day the Lord has made, which is a reference to that glorious day when Christ returns. Then we've got the day of the Lord, uh, which, of course, you know, is also the day uh, when the Lord will return. And it encompasses the day of vengeance of our God and the great day of the Lord's wrath and the tribulation period, which is very meaningful, even though we've been promised that we won't be here. Paul very plainly says that we've not been appointed to suffer wrath. We're not children of wrath. We're children of God. And uh, so we're not going to be here when the wrath of God is poured out. The church was not in existence for the first 69 weeks of Daniel's 490-year plan, the first uh, 483 years, that is. And we won't be here for the final seven years of that 490-year plan. So, but the fourth day that I want to talk about is uh, especially meaningful to believers in the present church age. And for that, I want to uh, uh, flip over to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And I want to talk about uh, the day of Christ. The day of Christ. And, you know, it's interesting. Uh, let's read. Let's just read the first part of Philippians chapter 1. I'll start out in verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart and as much as both in my chains and in in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. Remember, Paul wrote Philippians, one of his prison epistles, while he was under house arrest. That's right. God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. So twice he mentions here, until the day of Christ. What is the day of Christ? 
Well, the day of Christ is specifically a promise for believers. It's referred to as uh, the departure. It's referred to as the catching up or the harpazo. It's referred to as the blessed hope, but it's talking about the rapture. And indeed, the rapture is taught in Scripture. Again, there's a lot of bad false teaching out there. We talked about false teaching uh, last time on the program when we were doing Satan's counterfeits. But one of the biggest false teachings today, it comes from those who insist there is no rapture. Well, I don't know what they do with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, which plainly uses the word rapture in the Latin translation of the uh, New Testament, of the uh, right. New Testament there, the Bible in the fourth century AD. So Jerome, when he translated 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, talked about uh, the, the rapture. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13 says this, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. But listen, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, literally raptured That's right. together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Amen. By the way, it wouldn't be much of a comfort if before Christ was going to rescue us, we were going to have to endure the entirety of the incredible vengeance and wrath of the Lord on earth for seven right. years. <laughs> the reason it's comfort is because he's rescuing us before that day. Amen. Now, again, it doesn't mean that where he's going to rescue us before tough times come. Uh, right. It's already tough times for a lot of Christians all across the world. And frankly, for 2,000 years of church history, many Christians have been facing tough times. So right. don't misunderstand and don't think that somehow the rapture is this promise that we won't have to suffer. We absolutely are going to have to suffer. In fact, Jesus told us we're going to suffer. But what the rapture does rescue us from, very plainly in Scripture, is that final seven-year period the great day of the Lord's wrath, because we are not appointed to suffer wrath. But if we go back to uh, Philippians, this day of Christ, it's interesting. He says, uh, uh, I'm, uh, he who has begun a good work and you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, when Christ gave us eternal life, the moment we placed our faith in him, we are sealed until the day of redemption. We're sealed until the day of Christ, which is either at, at death when we go to meet the Lord, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, or at the rapture, whichever comes first. But here he's specifically referencing the day of Christ. Right. Uh, and then again, you know, we see it, uh, he says, we want you to be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. It's interesting how many times Paul alludes in his 13 epistles to the imminency of the, of the rapture, of the return of Christ. I mean, Paul walked the walk. He didn't just talk the talk. He really believed that yes. Christ was going to come back at any moment. Right. And that's the reason he talked about being found faithful. And yes. he, doesn't, he doesn't want to be disqualified if Christ were to come back at that moment and find right. him living in sin or in the flesh uh, mm -hmm. again and again. And here you see it. He says, you know, he just sort of almost assumes that the Philippian believers are going to be alive when Christ comes back. Yeah, right. Um, here, 2,000 years later, we tend to qualify it. I mean, I find myself qualifying it all the time. I'll say, you know, 
you know, if the Lord doesn't come back soon or if the Lord tarries is coming, in other words, we, we sort of have conditioned ourselves to think, well, he probably isn't going to come back today, you know, but we know he's going to come back and it could be today, but just in case it's not, you know, so we tend to focus more on the sort of the bookend of the Christian life being death rather than the return of Christ. But I yeah. tell you what, Curtis, I'm more excited than ever about the return of Christ and believe that it could actually be today. I mean, it could yeah. be in our day. In fact, I, I would almost say I'm convinced of that. Now, I'm not you know, trying to sound like some kind of a prophet who's received special information from God or you know, gotten out a calculator and, and somehow factored in a prediction date. Not at all. But right. I'm just saying, as I look at the signs around us and I see things happening and I see the big picture in Scripture— I just have to believe it won't be long. And I, I agree with you, JB. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I think we need to get back to kind of Paul's sentiment here about the day of Christ in Philippians, and we need to be more you know, frequently talking about the rapture and, and remind people, uh, uh, for example, of the words of John the Apostle when he said, little children, abide in him. That's right. so, which means to stay close, closely in fellowship with the Lord, so that when he appears, we will have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. I mean, yeah. how shameful would it be for the rapture to happen today and, and you be found living in sin? Now, it right. wouldn't keep you out of heaven, because thankfully, uh, our salvation is not dependent upon our works. It's dependent right. upon the promise of Christ. Uh, and those believers who have trusted in Christ, but yet are not living for him, they've gotten away from the Lord, they're, they're living in sin or following after the flesh, well, you know, uh, they're going to be in heaven, but they're not going to be, there's going to be a moment of regret there at the Bema judgment and when they see Christ. And I want to be able to look proudly into the face of my Savior and say, you know, hear him say, good, well done, good and faithful servant. You yes. know, I want to be found faithful. When yeah, he amen to that. So as we think about this fourth key day uh, this morning, the day of Christ, I, I want it to be a motivator for believers. You know, the first key day, the day of salvation, was a motivator to unbelievers that today is the day of salvation. It's, there's an urgency. Don't put it off. Trust in Jesus Christ today for salvation. But this last one, and really the, 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 the last three, but this one in particular should be a motivation for believers to look up and be watchful. And I know in the context, Jesus was talking when he said, look up and be watchful. He's talking to Israel about his second coming. Right. The same principle applies to believers with the imminency of the rapture. We ought to be looking up constantly for that blessed hope. And it ought to motivate us to live for him and Amen. to be found confident and faithful at his coming. So Amen. these are incredible days, uh, Curtis, but there are some pretty incredible days in Scripture, too. There are many more that we could look at. Um, but uh, these are some pretty incredible ones that I hope uh, will encourage and edify those who listen to today's program. The day of salvation, the day the Lord has made, uh, the day of the Lord, and of course, the day of Christ. So, uh, so yeah, thanks for, uh, for letting me share that. And I want to encourage folks to uh, tune in for the live stream tomorrow night. At, uh, you can go to notbyworks.org, just click the live stream button. We're going to be continuing our series at Plum Creek Chapel on what is Calvinism and is it biblical? And tomorrow I'll be looking at unconditional election and what that means. Uh, that's six o'clock mountain time. And then of course, Sundays at nine and 10, we will be uh, live streaming. Now this coming Sunday, we're having a special event 
at Plum Creek Chapel. Uh, we've got a big outdoor uh, event uh, tent set up, and we're going to have a celebration of God and Country Day, and we're going to honor uh, those civil servants and those who serve faithfully in our country, military, et cetera. And we're going to just talk about, uh, my message is going to be, why America needs the church why America needs the church. So this Sunday, we won't have our nine o'clock hour. So no live stream at nine o'clock mountain time, but we will live stream the 10 o'clock service and my message on uh, why America needs the church. Sounds great. Wow. JB. Yeah. That, thank you for the, the reminder of that. We, there are some special days uh, for Christians in scripture that we ought to be adding to the other special days we adhere to and, yeah. and observe, you know, casually, uh, we, we ought to be observing these four examples, uh, a little more than casually, I think. And, uh, so thank you for the reminder about those Amen. very, thank you. very special days. Um, yeah, I know our listeners, uh, appreciate that reminder also. I know I do. So, and thank you again for the reminder uh, that we can live stream your events from Plum Creek Chapel in Sedalia, Colorado uh, on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings, uh, just by going to notbyworks.org. And you can live stream any event from Plum Creek Chapel. Uh, again, JB's got a great uh, series going on right now uh, on Calvinism. If you've ever had any questions about uh, limited atonement or, you know, uh, irresistible grace and there were things of that nature you'll want to tune in uh, to, to, to listen to what JB's got to uh, tell you about this it, it's really great information and uh, you'll be very appreciative of it so uh, with that reminder with those reminders in place let me also remind our listeners that they can tune in for Pastor Dick's segment uh, Saturday mornings and also Lucas Doremus uh, on Saturday evenings. Uh, currently, Lucas is going through First Thessalonians, and uh, boy, I tell you, I sure am enjoying that too. Uh, Pastor Dick has got some uh, some special topics coming up, so do not miss them. Justification and sanctification. Oh yeah, justification and sanctification. What do those terms mean? If you're not sure. Tune in Saturday morning. You'll find out. You'll find out. Uh, so with all that being said, JB, let me thank you again for, for another wonderful hour uh, of enlightenment and education. And uh, we, we certainly do appreciate you being a part of our team. And Absolutely. God bless you greatly. And, and, and we are blessed greatly to have you aboard. So uh, be sure and tune in with us next week when we have JB next Tuesday morning. To the best of my knowledge, we'll have him here with us. And unless he tells me any different, uh, we'll be looking forward to that. Uh, until Saturday morning with Pastor Dick, this is the Christian Underground News Network uh, reminding you to add those four special days to your observance this year, uh, every day this year. And uh, this is the Christian Underground News Network signing off until Saturday morning. We'll see you then, and may God bless you.